What's up, everyone? This is episode number 96 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, I've got a fun conversation with another Kyle lined up for you today. And some of you might know him from Instagram under the handle at Clips and Vols. So I don't want to spend too long on the intro. I'll cover some of my mail in a future episode. In the meantime, you can check out my YouTube where I showed off a great care package from Jake at 90s B-Ball Cards. So Jake, thank you once again. I do want to share a few quick thoughts about the start of the NBA season, though. Um, One thing that the NBA is experimenting a little bit with thanks to COVID is playing a second game in the same city to limit travel. And this isn't happening all the time, but for example, the Pacers and Celtics faced off in Indianapolis on Sunday night, which the Pacers won, by the way, on a Sabonis game winner. Um, The Celtics then stayed in town on Monday and the two teams faced one another again on Tuesday. So it has a little bit of a playoff feel to it because these teams make adjustments after the first game. And I don't know, it's something new. I like that. So kudos to the NBA. I'm curious to see how it plays out over time, but so far, so good. Um, Also, Monday night, we saw Ja Morant go down with an ankle injury. And as of Tuesday afternoon, it was reported that there's no fracture, but we were still waiting on the MRI. And And maybe by the time you listen to this, I'm sure we'll know a lot more about it. But I thought it was strange that people were rushing to social media to post their John Morant cards for sale. And maybe it wasn't a huge wave of people, but it sure seemed like a lot. I know when I was scrolling through my feed, it's like every other post for a while, there was something John Morant. And I posted a link on my Twitter where people were selling cards on eBay with a lower buy it now. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. And someone replied that auctions seem to be performing about the same. So hopefully most people came to their senses. After all, we've had we've seen ankle injuries before. Um, Luca's had all sorts of ankle trouble, but people um, don't seem scared to keep buying his cards. So if you're one of those guys that got scared into moving some Morant stuff, just relax a little bit. Anyway, before I move into today's conversation with Kyle, I want to take a moment to tell you a little about Fanatics. As you guys know, there are costs that go into running a podcast, so I signed up for their affiliate program. Whether you want a Trey Young signed basketball, a New Jersey for your favorite team, or any other form of new NBA gear, there's a good chance that Fanatics has it. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod and click on that Fanatics logo at the top. Shop as planned and the Wax Museum podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum podcast. All right, Kyle, we've got a jam-packed list of topics that I want to touch on today, but before we get too far, I know things have been kind of hectic this holiday season and really the year as a whole. So I want to start off just by asking you, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. 2020 has been something else, but overall I'm doing pretty great. No one I love has been majorly impacted by COVID. Nobody's lost their job. Nobody's died. Uh, Obviously, I know people that have, but 
nobody that's close to me that I truly care about has been affected too badly by it. Collecting wise, 2020 has been awesome. Had four Tennessee Vols to uh, collect the rookies. I've had Jordan Bone, Kyle Alexander, and Prism draft picks, Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams, Kwai and Paul George joined the Clippers. So that, that gives me some superstars to go after again. Got a couple of rookies, Terrence Mann and Cobb and Gelly. I've got a few of them, but nothing crazy. Had six Lady Vols to go after with WNBA Prism. That was my jam. Uh, hit the, the one of one of my girl, Isabel Harrison, who you know is the sister of David Harrison, former Pacer, who you've had on Wax Museum podcast. So we kind of have a little little intertwine going on. That's cool. Uh, I know. I felt bad, too, because I, I think on his intro, I, I read all this stuff off about him. Oh, you've been on the real world. You've been, done this, done that. And he's like, yeah, my sister's in the WNBA, too. She's pretty good. Yeah. And his other sister actually played volleyball uh, at Tennessee. Her name's Dee Dee, and she was she's married to a former baller ball named Wayne Chisholm. Okay. Uh, they've been together since the entire time they were at UT, but they're an athletic family, that's for sure. But 2020 needs to end on a bright note, and I need to get my Wax Museum Rip Gods patch auto ASAP. Well, uh, you'll have to check with the Rip Gods about that one. I will inquire with them, but it's going to look good next to my one-of-one one Wax Museum podcast rookie patch auto, which, each quest, I'm sorry, you will not be getting any time that I'm alive, but my wife knows it goes to you if I die. Don't be blowing up my phone, Evan, about that. You heard it here. You can deal with Kyle. So, right. all right. So, we've chatted quite a bit through Instagram messages, which I don't even know how long now, but it's nice to finally talk to you for real. Speaking of Instagram, though, there's a good chance that people know some about you already from there, uh, be it your Clippers post or your WNBA box breaks um, or your awesome care packages, which I have been on the receiving end of those several times now. And we'll talk about those things later. But I'd like to start off by getting some more context about who you are and how you got to this point in the hobby, because I don't see a lot of correlation between Clippers and Tennessee. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? your collecting background and your collecting history. Yeah, definitely. One, there is no correlation. The first Clipper to ever, or the first Tennessee ball that ever played for the Clippers was Tobias Harris a few years ago. Hence why I uh, enjoyed it so much. He was the true Clips and Balls player. But it's kind of crazy. We've been instant messaging for three or four years. This is the first time we're actually getting to have a conversation. Hopefully one day when we go to a card show or something like that. A um, little bit about myself. Tennessee boy. I wear my Clippers fandom and my Vols fandom on my shoulder with pride. Been a part of my identity for the past 20 years or so, and I'm not sure you're ever going to find another Clippers fan in Tennessee. My very first Clippers memory that I recall was the 1992 playoffs. I remember around the time of the Rodney King incident, uh, and when they reached their verdict, uh, the Clippers ended up having to play in, in Anaheim. I remember a little bit of publicity about that. That's the first thing that really like said, okay, who are these Clippers? I remember Ron Harper. I remember liking him. But what really got me into being a Clippers fan is the original NBA Jam. Hmm. That NBA Jam team had Danny Manning and Ron Harper. Those were my guys. Had I picked, you know, Terry Porter and Clyde Drexler, I probably would be blazing balls right now instead of clips and balls. But I made that choice to go with Ron Harper and, and the Clippers, and it's kind of stuck with me. I grew up mainly collecting baseball cards until I got into NBA Jam. I always enjoyed playing it, but... That game, that game was the best. Once the NBA bug kind of bit me, I only asked for basketball cards for my family, for my mom, my sister, all that. Most of those came from Walmart or Kmart, but we had one little shop in town that was called Sports Treasures. This place was in Halls, which is a uh, 
I don't know what you would call it, a city inside of Knoxville or whatever, but it had this, this red and blue gigantic hat over the door. And it was like heaven for a kid. You walk in there and it's just cards everywhere and memorabilia and all that. And I used to love being able to go in there. Fast forward to present day, Sports Treasures is now known as Eddie Sports Treasures, and it's run by the original owner's son. Uh, it's still in Knoxville. Eddie's on Instagram. He's at Eddie Sports Treasures, but it, it's still that little piece of heaven. So when I was a kid and I collected, I didn't really like binder them or top load them or anything like that, kind of throw them in boxes. And I literally played with these things. Like I would have a five on five game with my cards. So I would have Vernon Maxwell you know, demolishing Dominique Wilkins' card as he's going to the hole. <laughs> and I mean, if you looked at the cards that I had, that I still have from when I was a kid, they're just absolutely destroyed. Maybe five of them are PSA five worthy. <laughs> um, but, I, but I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. And being able to have something like that, that, that helped you learn and that you, you got to have fun with and be interactive with it. I don't know, something about cards just, it really stuck with me when I was a kid. And I kind of got out of it when I went. About the time I went to high school, I switched schools after my ninth grade year and kind of gave up on all that stuff. Kind of got back into it with Eric Gagne, the Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher. I liked his style. He kind of brought me back into it for a month or so. Got back into it again when Blake Griffin became number one pick. Unfortunately, early Panini cards kind of suck and they're not very pleasing to look at. So I didn't get too many of those. But in 2016, I really came back into it. What brought me back was Josh Richardson, former ball, current Maverick now. He was drafted, and I kind of wanted to, to grab something of his, you know, that was a rookie card or something nice. So I went on eBay about 2016, and I went and grabbed a Josh Richardson optic card, just a base one. I liked the, the look of it. You know, he's going up for a poster dunk. I like that. And one day I was at Walmart, and I'm sitting there looking through little cards, and there's, there's a box that has Kevin Durant on it, and it's 2016-2017 optic. I was like, hey, that's, that's my Josh Richardson set. That, that reeled me in. I bought it every time I saw it, as many times as I could. Ended up getting the complete rainbow of Josh. You know, everything except the gold vinyl, which hasn't shown back up yet. Or hasn't shown up yet at all. But I technically have a super rainbow with 2016-17 Donruss and 2016-17 Optic now. Where I have every single card except for that one. Going to my Clippers collecting you know, I still have every single Clippers card I've ever gotten out of a box that I've opened myself. I've put them in their, in their little, uh, you know, side box or whatever. And hopefully one day, once life slows down, I'll be able to do something kind of like Tim Carroll does, where mm -hmm. I, I want to cut every Clippers logo out of the cards. And I want to build massive Clippers logos, like each incarnation of it. You know, I want a Buffalo Braves uh Clippers logo looks kind of like the Lakers, the new one. You know, I want to do something like that one. I love that kind of stuff, by the way. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Well, who knows? Give me some Pacers cards and I'll do it for you. <laughs> I probably have enough laying around. Pretty soon it'll be Goga cards. Yeah. Um, so you weren't born in Los Angeles. You don't live there. Yet you made a conscious decision, like you said, centered around NBA Jam. But you're probably the only person. First off, you're the only Clippers fan I know. But second off, you're the only person I know that um, has become a fan of a certain team because of NBA Jam. So I think that's awesome. So from 2009 on, it's probably, which thankfully that's when you jump back in, it's probably been a lot of fun collecting them. Prior to that, they didn't have much going for them. Um, they had the the knuckleheads in the early 2000s, which for those of you that don't know, that's the, um, the duo of uh, Darius Miles, right? And Quentin Richardson. 
you had a pretty fun group around 2006. They even won a, a playoff series. Um, other than those two squads, though, they really weren't worth following. Since you weren't collecting then, have you gone back and picked up any of the Miles stuff or Q Rich stuff? Oh, yeah. I've gone back and I've gone back and gotten pretty much every refractor I can of anybody from 1993 until present day. One of these days we'll go through our binders and, you know, I'll kind of show you what I've got with them. But, you know, one one interesting thing is I've never even been to Los Angeles. I don't even want to go to Los Angeles. So I have no interest in it. Like I'll, I'll probably go check out their new arena when they go to Inglewood, but I don't know. There's something about it. I've never been interested. I've seen them in Phoenix. I've seen them in Charlotte. I've seen them in Orlando, I've seen them in Atlanta, I've seen them many times in Memphis. And I've seen them once in Washington, DC as well. There's something to going to a game as an opposing fan, mm-hmm. especially being a Clippers fan. You know, I said, I wear it like a badge. It's kind of nice being you know, the, the underdog, like right. I, I really take pride in being the underdog and being able to go catch all these games at other opponents arenas. It's like, you know, I can, I can be as loud as I want and I'm going to piss everyone of y'all off. And I hope that you all remember that one Clippers fan, because that's what I do. I'm not rude. You know, I'm, right. I'm nice to everybody, but I'm loud. I have a very uh, booming voice. So when I go to those arenas, you know, there's a Clippers fan there. doesn't matter how loud it is, how quiet it is. You're going to hear me. So now, see, uh, I, I've been on the flip side of that. I've been going to Pacers games on the road for coming on 17 years now. And uh, a few years back, I got to take my wife to a game in Indianapolis. And I tell you what, that was, it was so refreshing to mm-hmm. cheer. You know, I've been the villain. I've been that guy, right? I've had stuff, the magic mascot, you know, push me. I've had Harry the Hawk stick his feathers in my face. Uh, Rufus the Bobcat did stuff with me, right? So I got all those memories, but it's like, ah, I can finally cheer with the crowd. Like we can all, you know, I can feel that energy and not it not be a negative thing. So there, there's two sides of that, but I do, I definitely do resonate with that. I was in the same spot, especially right after the brawl. I was wearing my Artest jersey in Orlando and oh man, you talk about you talk about easy heat, right? I didn't even have to say anything. I was just a heat magnet at that point. So you're basically um, Nick Foley walking in and the opposite of what he used to do, where he would, you know, go out there and say, you know, I love, you know, Nashville, Tennessee. Woo. Right. You're going in there and doing the complete opposite of it. I'm I'm doing the uh who is it, Elias Sampson when he, mm-hmm. he told Seattle that they didn't deserve a team. That was classic. Yeah. All right, a little wrestling talk for those of you that uh, aren't in tune with that. Maybe Brett from Stacking Slabs, he'll like that one. Um, Those knuckleheads teams were, that was probably what really got the fandom going because, mm -hmm. you know, watching SportsCenter and things like that, you saw Darius Miles and Quentin Richardson on SportsCenter Top 10 quite a bit. Right. That kind of gave me something, you know, he he was hyped. Darius Miles was very hyped, Mm -hmm. you know, he's... Uh, my wife actually tried to get me a Christmas present. It was the Sports Illustrator with him and Kevin Garnett on it. Okay. Fortunately, the USPS lost it. So no Christmas present of Darius Miles uh, Sports Illustrated for Kyle. But those teams really, they were exciting. Mm-hmm. They weren't winning, but, you know, that that kind of that drew me into them a little bit more. And then you got into the 04, 05, 06 teams, and Elton Brand was a stud. Chris mm-hmm. Kamen was playing really well. We brought in Catino Mobley. We brought in Sam Cassell. Sam Cassell to this day probably helped change the franchise as much as anybody outside of Blake Griffin and Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, that series we had with the Nuggets, I think it was 2005. I sat there with my friend, Matt, who 
He's a Magic fan. He didn't really care about the Clippers, but he's going to watch it with me. And I can remember all the fun stuff that happened with, you know, like he, he used to call Chris Kamen because Chris Kamen's ugly. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a fact. He's an ugly dude. And he looks like a caveman. Mm-hmm. So his nickname became Caveman Kamen. And we would say, Kamen, Kamen. <laughs> that's, that's who he is. Um, you know, you think about one other thing with uh, Chris Kamen, Reggie Evans. That will live forever. I know you know what I'm what I'm talking about him reaching behind him and mm-hmm. grabbing the coin purse. Now, th- there's a lot of fun memories from that time. Uh, Sam Cassell's big cojone dance. Right. Well, there was a lot of fun with that. Wait, before Eddie house, right. People want to give Eddie house credit, but no, it was Sam Cassell. It was Sam Cassell and it was Sam Cassell with the Clippers. Mm-hmm. That was the first time that, that I think he ever actually did it was with the Clippers. I could be wrong. I think it was. I, I don't I haven't really uh, studied that in detail, but yeah. I think it was. So we've talked about Clippers past and, um, you know, you, we still have some good memories there, obviously, even though some of those teams weren't that great. Although they, they did win. They won what one playoff series, I think, which is the one that you alluded mm-hmm. to there. But now you've got a very competitive team. And I, I know people are a little down on them for a number of the reasons, mainly because of the way last season ended. Let's talk about this current squad, though. Let's talk about some of the bigger moves that they made real quick um, in the offseason. I want to see what you think of those. So I'll name some of them. Some of them we'll go through quick. Some of them aren't that big of a deal. As far as players they re-signed, Marcus Morris got a ton of money, four years, $64 million. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I'm good with it. You're good with it. Okay. So what's, what's the rationale behind that? Marcus provides kind of what we need. We need an enforcer, somebody that's going to be vocal, but can back it up. I mean, Patrick Beverly's an enforcer. He likes to yap. You know, we're, we're a very unlikable team if you're not a Clippers fan. And I totally right. get why, but Marcus Morris and Pat Bev are those guys that, you know, if they join the Pacers, mm-hmm. they would immediately become one of your favorite players. Right. They go to the heat, they're going to become a Heat fan's <laughs> favorite player. They're just, they're your dudes. Right. And Marcus brings that toughness, you know, uh, we, nobody's really, nobody's really getting anybody's face. Beverly will talk. Mm-hmm. Kawhi's not getting anybody's face. Paul George and Morris is our enforcer. He could shoot the ball. Uh, he moves the ball very well. He plays good defense. So, you know, we, we gave up a first round pick for him and I think you got to keep him. see what you can get out of him. So, okay, so you re-signed him. You re-signed Patrick Patterson, um, yeah. who – I mean, yeah. Pat, Pat is – I mean, he is what he is, but, you know, he's there to play about five minutes a game and make you a three. Yeah, that's not a that's not a move that's really going to move the needle. I mean, I've liked him since he came up in the NBA. I do think his NBA time has uh, come to an end, but, you know, into the bench type of guy. Uh, now, they lost Trez, which yeah. – um, you know, he really emerged as a Clipper. You know, we knew he was drafted by the Rockets, but he really emerged as a Clipper. They lost Landry Shamit. They lost Rodney Magruder, who was there for a little bit, I think just a season. Um, And then they lost Joachim Noah, who really, you know, you couldn't count on him for anything. And then Justin Patton, which um, Justin Patton, if, if you're on a, your prism card wearing a suit, you're not really going to amount to anything. Sorry, Edmund Sumner. Sorry, EK Anabogu. Uh, I'm I'm in the same boat, but Patton didn't even suit up one game for us. Okay. um, Which thank God, because I don't think he would (laughs) have performed anyways. Um, Losing Trez was big. Like if you, if you read Clippers Twitter, they hate on They blame him for everything that happened in the bubble. And I just don't get that. You know, I think everybody at this point understands his grandmother was very important to him. 
he lost her and then he has to go and isolate himself around a bunch of guys he apparently didn't like. So, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't useful in the bubble. Um, but that's, that's more of an indication of Doc Rivers lack of, I'm not going to say lack of coaching, but his, he doesn't adjust his rotation. Mm-hmm. Even knowing that that happened, he left Trez in there and he put Trez in a position to fail. So I don't, I don't hate him for it. It sucks these on the Lakers, but you know, we didn't offer him. It's not like he said, oh, I'm going to take less money to go there. Clippers right. basically said, all right, man, see you bye. You know, Landry Shamit, I, I don't know how I feel about him really. He's, he's underwhelming. He's a terrible shooter, but he's known as a shooter. He's right. He's a three and D guy who doesn't yeah, shoot the three well. No, he, I mean, heck, he was O of eight the other night. Like, he's, he's not a shooter. Hopefully he can be, you know, he is a good defensive player. I think we tried to play him at point guard a little too much and that didn't really work out, but good luck to him. The Nets look good and hopefully he can be a piece of their Eastern Conference finals roster and then lose to the Clippers in the, <laughs> in the finals. All right. Well, let's see if the Clippers are going to get there. They're going to need some big contributions from their new additions, oh, yeah. um, which includes Serge Ibaka. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Toronto, I, I, he was, I think we're already seeing right now that he was huge for Toronto and they're missing him. Um, they're missing, well, they lost Gasol too. So they're really missing that depth. You picked up Luke Kennard and then yeah. signed him for a lot of money, which uh, you and I, just from what, I don't want to speak for you, but from what we've talked about already, we're actually both on board with that signing. I love both of them. Every time the uh, Pacers played the Pistons, he just absolutely torched them. And maybe, so maybe my sample size is, is just Pacers games, but I liked what I saw from the guy. Luke Kennard is basically what I thought Landry Shamit was going to be. Mm-hmm. He's a three, he's not really a D guy, but he's a three guy, but he's a creator too. Mm-hmm. You know, Kennard can move the ball, and that's that's one thing. If you watch the Clippers in the bubble, we didn't move the ball for anything. It was just a bunch of isolation and try to run a pick and roll, but then for some reason Trez just couldn't catch the ball, and, you know, that, that didn't work. So mm-hmm. Abaka is going to be huge for us, though. We needed mm-hmm. a stretch guy, somebody that can play defense, because that's Montrez's number one thing that he doesn't do well is he doesn't play defense well. Abaka is going to be huge for us if we're – if we're going to take the next step. And when I say next step, you understand this because uh, we've had this conversation. I don't, I don't necessarily want them to win the NBA finals. Just get to a Western conference finals. That's it. Right. That's the goal. Just get there. I don't even care if you win, just get there and get over that hump. And then we can, you know, we can look at it later. Now. I mean, I do think though, the, the stakes you bring in Kawhi and Paul George and I, I think I don't know if Western Conference Finals. I mean, I mean, maybe you'd be happy with that, but I, I, I think you got to aim a little higher for that, though. See, I'm I'm a progress, not perfection kind of guy. I don't want us to. I don't want to shoot for the stars and be disappointed. I like keeping my expectations kind of low. Uh, not that the Western Conference Finals is low, but when you're a fan of a franchise that's never gotten there, and two times in the past six years you've been right there, and you blow it. Mm-hmm. We blew it against the Rockets. We blew it against uh, the Nuggets last year. Almost blew it to the Mavs last year. That Western Conference Finals, that's my goal. You know, right. Obviously, the players, they need to go for the finals. But as long as they get to the Western Conference Finals, I'm, it's a successful year for me. I feel like any decent team in the West is one LeBron injury away from the finals. Agreed. Um, and, you know, I don't wish that on LeBron. 
but you know, I, I think we've taken his health for granted for a oh, long yeah. time now. Yeah, um, I know we're talking Clippers right now, but you know, talking about LeBron, it's crazy to me to think that. Like I remember watching his summer league games in 2003, mm-hmm. like before he even played an official NBA game, and just watching his career. He's such a special player, and he's such a good ambassador for the sport. Mm-hmm. So I hope everybody that's you know a LeBron hater or whatever you want to call him, or you know can't see what his value is to the sport kind of open their eyes up and enjoy these last few years. Yeah. Sucks. The Lakers won last year, but man, it's pretty cool watching a dude win it with three teams and be the the focal point of three teams. Yeah. Well, and I, I think a lot of people missed out on when, um, when Jordan retired mm-hmm. and just the vacuum that that created. And it wasn't, everyone says, well, then Kobe was here. Well, it, it wasn't like Kobe just immediately took over and it wasn't the same where here we have an incredible generational talent. Um, So I'll miss LeBron when he's not playing, but anyway, enough about LeBron. Um, You also added Nick Batum, who is not LeBron James, uh, but hopefully your expectations, I think will be lower than Charlotte's. So I think he's a a good addition. Are super low, but three games through he's doing what he needs to do. He's right. We got a lot smarter this offseason, basketball IQ wise. You know, I'm not saying Trez or Landry Shamit's dumb, but the decisions that Batum and Abaka have been making in these three games, even that terrible game yesterday to the Mavericks, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll discuss also. Oh, yeah. uh, you know I had that one coming up soon. Yeah. You know, watching the decisions they make, I think it's gonna be a good pickup. And the fact that we're not paying them twenty four million dollars a year is beautiful. Yeah. So uh, as far as other additions, they were all pretty minor. Um, You didn't really have a first round pick Uh, in the second round. You drafted a guy whose last name is literally scrub. Um, And, and I'm definitely getting a Clippers Jersey. I don't know which one yet. I would like to get the powder blue that we wore a few years ago, but it's going to say scrub on the back. Okay. Excellent. And it's scrub scrub with an extra B, which it's just is the icing on the cake. Um, I failed to mention though, that you, you change coaches, right? You mentioned Doc earlier and you were kind of upset about um, his game planning or his, his uh, in-game moves. Now you got Ty Lue. And I know Doc has thrown some stuff out there like, well, you know, if you didn't like what I did, guess who was sitting by me on the bench? What do you think about Ty Lue? I'm excited for it. The sample size is small. We've only had three games so far, but the, the offensive sets that they're running right now, they're moving, you know, getting Lou Williams out and trying to get him into space some. You know, Doc is a great coach without first Blake and then Chris Paul coming in and, you know, Doc coming in and then you get Steve Ballmer as an owner. The Clippers aren't in the position they are. But I think just kind of like Jeff Fisher with the Tennessee Titans and eventually the the Rams as well, there's great coaches, but sometimes you just need a change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think our team respected Doc. I think they would respect Ty Lu, but I think Ty's going to try – he's going to try different things. He's not going to do what got him to the dance. He's going to look at the dance and say, well, maybe I need to wear a new set of shoes this time. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, Lou and Trez played terrible in the bubble and he didn't change the rotation at all. Didn't take minutes away. Didn't say, Hey, Zubats is, he's doing his thing. Let's give him five, 10 more minutes, you know, but I'm, I'm excited about Lou. It seems like the players like him and I think he's a good coach. I mean, He's a he's an NBA champion. So as right. much as you want to say, or if you want to say that that's LeBron's doing or whatever, somebody's got to be coaching them. And David Black couldn't do it. So 
Well, and he's, he's been around, I mean, he, you know, even playing days with the Lakers, he's, he's been around these guys. Right. And I think there's, that's why Brian Shaw was, even though his head coaching um, tenures haven't really worked out. Uh, he was so valued as an assistant because he saw Kobe day to day. He saw, you know, a lot of these situations. And I think there's some value that goes with that. Going back to the the coaching changes and, and how sometimes it's just necessary. I remember Larry Bird, when he worked in the Pacers or when he was more active in the Pacers front office, he used to say, you know, a coach shouldn't be here longer than four years. That was kind of his mentality. Now, I don't know if that just gave him an out to get rid of guys and kind of soften the blow. Um, but for the most part, he held firm to that is that, you know, we're not going to keep a guy more than four years. Yeah, unless you get somebody that's transcendent like Popovich. Right. Or Brad Stevens, like Brad Stevens should probably be the Celtics coach for another 10, 15 years. But then, but then you talked about Clippers Twitter. Sorry, Celtics fans. Celtics Twitter is a cesspool. Um, but Celtics Twitter, and I say that there's a little bit of, of um, disgust with them over the whole Miles Turner thing recently, yeah. but Celtics Twitter, they, they pick Brad apart. And I'm like, man, you know, heading into this year, you, the things I would have done to have Brad Stevens coach no the Pacers, thing. but that's, that's coming off of years of, of Nate McMillan. So, you know, I guess the expectations are a little different. We've got a new coach now. And um, I'll tell you last night, just that game alone, just the Celtics game, we ran a box and one, which they didn't mm -hmm. even practice in camp. They just implemented it during the game. Um, although, you know, people act like that's super revolutionary, like high school teams do box and one. So these guys know how to do it. Um, yeah. But it's just, it's just like actually implementing that. So we did that during the game. He saved the game winning play for Sabonis. He saved that all game because they were switching on a dribble handoff. And he said, we're not going to adjust until the very last play, just in case we need it. He did it. Sabonis hits the game winner. It's like, it is good. Coaching is so refreshing. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's, you had it in doc. Things kind of got stale. Hopefully you get that same energy with Ty Lue. Hopefully Ty Lue's learned from his other stops as well. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing how uh, Ty uses the younger guys. One one big gripe with Doc is he never he never gave playing time to anybody that was young outside of Shea Gilchrist-Alexander because he had to. Like Shea was so good, you had to play him. Right. I mean, think, about, think about our draft picks. Just since 2015, you know, Bryce Johnson – Diamond Stone, worst name for a male basketball player ever. You got Jawan Evans, which maybe we'll talk about him at some point too. Yay, Jawan. You got Cindarius. I think uh, I still have a Jawan Evans gold that I bought from you on Com C. Just wouldn't surprise just, me. Just hoping that in this reactive market, he drops 15 somewhere, but I don't, he's, not, he's not even in the league, so he can't drop 15 right now. Yeah, he might be on the Northern Arizona Sun again or something. <laughs> One guy that I do want to mention that we hadn't been able to talk about when it comes to the Clippers is Baron Davis. Okay. Uh, Baron Davis played a really big role in the Clippers becoming who they are because he was the first superstar. And, you know, people will laugh when I say Baron Davis is a superstar. Coming off those We Believe teams, Baron Davis was a superstar. Mm -hmm. He killed it. And he was the first person to say, you know what, I'm going to go be a Clipper. And unfortunately, Elton Brand packed up and went to Philadelphia when we thought we were going to have two stars playing but I've got a lot of love for Baron Davis, which anybody that knows me on my social knows I do so much love. In fact, that my dog who is 10 year old Pitbull, is named Baron Davis. <laughs> so Mr. Davis, if you happen to listen to wax museum podcast, you got a big fan in Tennessee. 
All right. Well, there you have it. And I got Reggie the cat over here. So that's uh, right. We're, we're representing our names with the, the four legged companions here. Um, so let's, let's transition out of Clippers as much as I'd love to keep talking about them. And, and I didn't even get into Paul George. I'm trying to restrain myself here. Um, Kyle, it's harder <laughs> on you than it is on him. You can't well, hate in your heart. Listen. All right. So, so because we are going to talk about Paul George here. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm very much, you know, I was very bitter against him. I actually talked about it on my last episode, um, probably to irrational levels, definitely to irrational levels, but then, you know, I'd kind of forgiven him. And then he went this past off season and said, yeah, well, I begged the Pacers to bring in Anthony Davis. Uh, he just keeps trying to villainize the Pacers whenever he fails at something. No. And it's like, look, leave us alone. We got Oladipo and Sabonis, which, but you know, everyone in OKC was bragging about that trade. Okay. Um, so leave us alone. And there's no way Anthony Davis was coming to Indiana. That wasn't even on the table. He had multiple years left on his deal. It would have completely gutted the team. Like they were going to take CJ miles back. I mean, come on. All right. Anyway, now, all right, now I'm done with my Paul George disgust for the day. But I, I did, I did hate Elton Brand for a while, so so I know where you're coming from. When he left, I, it took me about five years to get over it. So yeah. just from my experience, the quicker that you can forgive him and forget, the better off you'll be. You know what? I, I'll give kudos though. I know you, you try and take credit for bringing me back to Paul George. I'll give you 100% some. I'll give you some of the credit. Um, you mentioned Evan earlier in the episode when I talked to him about inserts. I started like getting into inserts again mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh man, I got to get some pacers. Well, it, it was always Paul George. So Paul George, between you sending me a few of those yeah. and uh, him talking about them, it's like, all right, I got to forgive this guy just so I can <laughs> zag in 2020. But all right. So speaking of zags, I don't, well, I don't know if this is a zag or not. I think you would have probably went here anyway, but I've noticed on your Instagram that you've been um, getting really into these new WNBA releases. And oh, yeah. I've had a couple of requests to talk about WNBA cards on the show. I'm not going to pretend that I know a lot about them, um, but I, you know, I do want to cover all things basketball cards, if at all possible. So I wanted to talk to you some about those today. And before we really dig in, I'm going to give a just a quick history of pre-Panini WNBA cards. Um, Kyle, I'm not going to hit on every set, but if you notice that I've forgotten something, feel free to jump in. Um, and then once we get to the Panini years, I'll kind of pivot and let you handle that more so. The WNBA started in 1997, and we've had some women's basketball cards before that with various college team releases and Sports Illustrated for Kids sets and USA sets. I think Kellogg's had some sets before that as well. And then when the league started in 97, there were WNBA cards from the very start, thanks to Pinnacle, which some people might remember. You know, Pinnacle had a short-lived NBA run. Recently, they brought it back um, in 2013. Well, that was an old brand that Donruss had acquired. And I think it was even a separate company before that. So mm -hmm. um, they were making WNBA cards in 1997 and um, multiple years that followed after that. Fleer jumped onto the scene in 1999. They had Fleer Ultra. They had Hoop Skybox, which both looked very similar to their NBA counterparts. And to their credit, Fleer continued that up until their uh, bankruptcy. So the last Fleer WNBA release was in 2004. They even had some autos and relics in that time frame. 
Then a company called Rittenhouse took over in 2005. From what I can understand, they produced sets until 2010, took a few years off and picked back up in 2013, where they had some fairly limited base sets. I think they were numbered to 500 cards, uh, 500 copies apiece, all the way through 2018. And then that is where Panini came onto the scene. So I'm assuming they just took over the license uh, because I haven't seen anything from Rittenhouse since then, although I could be wrong. Um, talk to me a little bit about the current iteration of WNBA cards. Like you said, Panini took over um, and started releasing again in 2018 with the Donruss set, which, you know, up until about six months ago, you could buy a hobby box for about $40. You get basically an entire set out of the one box, but you're also going to get optic cards, uh, which are chases, gold optics, which are just glorious. I mean, it's the 2018 optic set. It's the same as the men's basketball, the, the look of it, the border and everything. You you had multiple one-of-ones. You had great inserts. All-Stars is one of the coolest looking inserts that they've, they've done for women, which uh, really you don't have very many inserts after like 1999. Most of it is just base right. or autographs. Well, and I felt like some of the older ones were kind of insulting. Like there was a clear one called feminine adrenaline. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, come on guys. They, they were very gimmicky and Rittenhouse, you know, Rittenhouse has some beautiful cards like their autos, which I don't know if you've scrolled down on my, my uh, timeline or whatever, but I've got two of Candace Parker and they're, they're gorgeous cards, mm-hmm. but they tried to do a little too much beauty with it. And right they tried to make them more feminine than they actually are and make it more about the looks than about the basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, Donruss hasn't done that except for, I'm sorry, Panini hasn't done that until you look at prism this year and you look at Skylar Diggins card and it's like, Oh man, she's yeah. gorgeous. She's, she's a face type of a person. Well, um, Rittenhouse even had uh, photo variation autographs where one was like a photo shoot in mm-hmm. just regular clothes and then, and I remember even back in the 2000s, people were like, oh, I got to grab this new Becky Hammond. Yep. It's like, you've never watched a WNBA game. Yeah. Um, and then, then they had the version in the uniform as well. So yeah, kudos to Panini for not resorting to that. Yeah. And we've, you know, we've talked about basketball cards for, you know, like I said, three or four years or whatever. And I'm, I'm not a big Prism fan uh, when it comes to the NBA counterpart. Uh, you know, it's watered down. Some of the pick, it just seems lazy to me and it's pushed out and, you know, the base doesn't look that good to me or whatever, but they knocked it out of the park with this, this WNBA release. There's so much color and the, the checklist is limited. So, I mean, if you buy a hobby box, you're going to get cool cards, whether or not you get value or not, that's a whole different story. And I hope in this conversation, we can kind of temper those expectations of what you know, what kind of return on investment you're going to get from WNBA cards, you know, specifically going into the prism right now, you have Ionescu, you have Sabali, you have Kennedy Carter, who are really good rookies and they may have value down the line. You've got Sue Bird, you've got Tarasi, you've got Elena Deladon, you've got Candace Parker, uh, Arike Agumbawale. You've got some really good players, but the market's so small the odds of somebody coming in and being able to invest in WNBA are very slim. You know, I've seen a lot of talk about it, especially with the premium sets that came out numbered to 99, which I bought one. It was like $700 to buy it. I know I've already sold it. I actually traded it. Got a couple of gold Candace Parkers out of the deal. Was that uh, on, was that through fanatics? 
No, it was through uh, Panini Direct. It okay. was one of the, what's the auction style they're running now, the reverse one? Yeah, the whatever, the Dutch auction, yeah. whatever they call that. Yeah, they did that. And so, you know, there, there's a thread on Blowout and I'm pretty active in there and I'm, I'm reading some of the comments and I see some of the typical Blowout hype beasts come in and say, oh, well, time to start buying. And the second I saw those names enter there, I was like, well, I need to go ahead and get one of these, even if I'm paying high. And it ended up being right, but... You know, one guy's got 14 of the 99 boxes and there's a big portion of people that are trying to invest in WNBA and trying to find the next soccer. And I'm not trying to knock the WNBA. I hope it's huge. I love women's basketball. I grew up watching Pat Summit. The Women's Basketball Hall of Fame is literally 15 minutes down the road from me right now. Uh, women's basketball is huge in East Tennessee. The money's just not going to be there for what some people are expecting. You know, Ionescu, if she ends up being great, Good job. Anybody that bought into her, you're going to make money. But if you're just buying sets and things like that to try to invest and flip it and find the next great, you know, card investment, probably not the best one. You want a fun rip, go get you some WNBA Prism, especially if you have somebody that you like, because no matter what, you're getting one of those cards. If you like Kennedy Carter, you're definitely getting a Kennedy Carter base rookie. But I just, you know, I'm, I'm a part of a Facebook group that's got a little bit less than 200 people. And that's about half fans, half investors, uh, but everybody's cool. I've done six trades on there. I haven't traded with anybody in a long time when it comes to NBA, but something about this WNBA group, we're able to, I mean, we're not even like, hey, here's the value. It's like, hey, I want a Shakina Strickland and you want, you know, Lexi Brown, so let's trade. Right. And yeah, it's like literally, like, would you, if these were both sitting in front of you, would you trade this stack for this one? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that's what it is. There's not, you know, eBay comps or anything like that. And I hope the WBA market continues to grow. Like I would kill to see some national treasures or flawless and, you know, get a patch auto of Candace Parker. But I just want everybody that, that thinks about getting into the WNBA cards. Understand there's very few, there's a hundred cards in the base set. Mm -hmm. Maybe 10 to 12 of those are actually going to be worth money in the long run. Uh, but that's not to say collect, collect what you like, who you like, but if you're trying to invest, you might be better served going somewhere else. Now, right. All I hear is Sabrina, Sabrina, Sabrina. Then mm -hmm. I go, I don't know what they're going for on eBay. I go on comp C her raw silvers are, are 125. I'm mm -hmm. like, wow, that not knowing much about WNBA. I'm like, this is the, the premier, you know, the card that everyone wanted. And it's going for 125 and I didn't see any major defects or anything on it. So that, that kind of shocked me already that it's at that point. It'll pick up. I mean, once the WNBA season starts, I do think there'll be some more, you know, I think you'll see hype beasts come into it. So if you're in WNBA early, like, like I am, uh, like a lot of these people in the groups are, I think we'll probably be able to sell some of these cards that we shouldn't be able to just mm -hmm. because you're going to have the investor people come in with it. You know, I, I, I wouldn't personally purchase hobby boxes at the current prices. They're at almost $300 unless you just want to have fun. Right. If you're trying to get a hit, uh, I probably wouldn't. I do want to shout out uh, one person on Twitter, Old Dirty Mooch, who I, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure you follow. He's been a huge supporter of WNBA Prism and WNBA in general, and he's a super nice guy. So if you haven't uh, followed him on Twitter, I would check him out. It's Old Dirty Mooch, not Old Dirty Mooch. But uh, I would definitely shoot him a follow. He's a he's a really cool guy. 
We need more basketball people on Twitter. I think I've said it before, but I'll say it again. We need more basketball people on Twitter. It's so much baseball, baseball, baseball. Um, Now, well, speaking of baseball, kind of a thought that I had, um, and I know you picked back up around 2016, but in 2014, Andrew Wiggins was such a big deal. Mm -hmm. They actually um, put Andrew Wiggins autos in some of their baseball products. Yeah, It was one of the chase cards. And um, a part of me is wondering, you know, if, if this NBA rookie class, I think it'll sell either way, but let's say, you know, Edwards and, and uh, ball and some of these guys drop off and there's not the hype for it or the anticipation that they're wanting. What if they backdated some Sabrina RPAs in there? I mean, yeah. I think that would be pretty cool and that would be a kind of a win-win for everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. She's uh, she's bringing in a different kind of collector too, because of that relationship her and, or she had with Kobe and Gigi Bryant, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm, I'm sure you know about, but I don't know that everybody does. Uh, Kobe's very supportive of women's basketball in general, but he had a really special bond with Sabrina. So now that he's passed, it's almost like she's that extension directly from him. And I, I mean, I want to see her succeed. She's, she is a baller. But at the same time, my, my main focus with talking about Prism is Let's temper our expectations. Right. I'm not going to become rich off of this. If you hit a big card, that's awesome. But, but rip them because you enjoy them, not necessarily because you're trying to make money on it. And I guess you could say that about everything, but specifically with the WNBA stuff, because like they were on pre-sale at $120 a box. And I looked at it and you can go look at my post in the WNBA thread. And I'm like, don't buy this. Like, why would you buy this? It's going to drop. Sure enough, that name, that Prism name really carried mm-hmm. it in the beginning. And then once people started seeing the product that's coming out and how you're getting 15 colored cards per box. And, you know, every once in a while you're hitting a Deladon or you're hitting or, you know, a Candace Parker or Skylar Diggins-Smith. You're getting good stuff out of it. Uh, it's kind of become its own product now, not just a Prism. Like it's right. a fun rip again. Like I kind of look at it like, uh, what is it? 1819 essentials mm-hmm. like that's just a fun rip regardless but also talking about prism this kind of shows you where they they dropped the ball where panini dropped the ball you have two second round picks that were really good this year one of which is the rookie of the year and crystal Dangerfield. shouldn't have a card a cooper is going to end up being a face of the nba because one she's a baller she's a former lady ball but she's also a former lady gamecock and a former lady baylor bear uh, so she's kind of been all over the place, but she's going to be marketed as a face and they didn't, they didn't put her in it, but this is a good time to shout out Parkside cards who has crystal danger filled autos coming out. Uh, you can get those on their website right now, but if you do want a card of the, the current WNBA rookie of the year, she has autos with Parkside cards right now. Okay. And Parkside made the, uh, big three set. That's so right. is, is this licensed stuff or player licensed or what yeah, exactly is licensed. this? Okay. She's the only one. Uh, they released her in a set with a couple of other people, but honestly, I didn't even look at those people because I was just like, ooh, I got to get me one danger filled at least. So. Right. Yeah, and it's not like they're going to uh, pump out Chronicles for WNBA, no. so I guess we'll maybe they'll use that to sell the Prism next year. I'm assuming it would come back. I mean, we've got Garbage Pail Chrome right now, so... Anything that's chromium is going to move. So anyway, a lot of the current Prism WNBA stuff, I I think, has already been dumped on Com C. I've seen a lot of it on there. 
And I know you're very active and successful on ComC. I know we both like ComC. Mm-hmm. Um, um, your success on there has only increased now that the basketball market is so reactionary. So yeah. before we go today, I want to talk a little bit about some of the success that you've had flipping stuff on ComC. And I think I've seen multiple times you turn it into PC cards. Um, mm-hmm. If that is the case, which I think it is, what would you say is the nicest card you've been able to purchase for your PC um, as a result of ComC sales? For the most part, that's pretty much all I do. I've tried to use ComC kind of like a uh, self-sustaining, I don't even really know what you call it. I'm trying not to spend as much money out of my pocket as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I try to flip stuff, I don't I don't shoot for the stars. The way I look at it, I, I'm a pricing analyst by day. That's what I do. Uh, I work for a redistribution company. And basically what I'm trying to do on ComC with the flipping is I'm not trying to get it to that end collector. I'm trying to get just a little bit of margin out of there so that this other guy can hold it for a year and try to get it to the end collector. Um, most of my flips aren't very big unless I just get a still, you know, like I'll buy a cart for four bucks that's mispriced and be able to get 70 off of it. But for the most part, I'm like 25, 30% is usually where I go. The best card that I've gotten from my flipping or the one that I enjoy the most is the 2017, 2018 Optic Court Kings Black One of One of Blake Griffin, mm. which is a beautiful card. And I've gotten a lot of PC cards. I basically filled up all my, you know, we talked about earlier from 93 until now, the refractors. Most of that's come from these flipping, you know, this flipping too. But that Black Court Kings is just, it's a gorgeous card and it's its very artistic. And uh, you know, just, I'm, I'm a fan of the black cards. Black one of ones is my thing. I'm not a big gold vinyl fan. It kind of looks, I don't know, gold vinyl just doesn't do it for me. So, I yeah, I I think um, having collected the top stuff in the 2000s and remembering when the super fractors came out, it's nostalgic for me. But yeah. if I were to take that element away, I'd be like, this is kind of weird. And then in football, they're number to five. Like it doesn't, some of it doesn't make a lot of sense. I like, I'm huge on continuity. So when there's discrepancies like that, it bothers me a little bit. Uh, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of really cool cards that I've been able to give as gifts. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't think of many off the top of my head, but, you know, that's a Roy Hibbert cool. diamond card. I can tell yeah. you that one. Thank God I got back, uh, which that's a fun story. I tried to price it so that we could transfer it to you and somebody came in and snagged it before you got it. But, I've, you know, I've gotten a lot of cool things like I got a Robin Lopez 101 um, that I sent to Jeff, you know, and that that's not you know, a big card and it's definitely not a PC card, but I, I get so much pleasure out of that aspect of this hobby too. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about the gift giving and things like that. And, you know, there, there's just something to it about surprising somebody. You know, I think back, uh, I've gotten so many cool packages myself and, you know, I can think back all the stuff that my buddy Jordan's given me, you know, big, big J sports cards. Um, I can think about my buddy Colby getting me the Jarnell Stokes one-on-one sketch card from the rookie premiere. I still have that on my desk. It's awesome. I go back to small town and he, <laughs> he sent me a Patrick Beverly hoops one-on-one and I had no clue. Like it came and like in a birthday card basically <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, it's just so cool. And, you know, we're kind of in a similar circle when it comes to the card collecting. Like we talk to a lot of the same people that's special. Mm-hmm. And I hope everybody realizes that, like, you don't have to give gifts. You don't have to do that. But realize that there is something special about this hobby and the interactions that you get. And, you know, like, heck, I'm sitting here on a Zoom meeting right now talking to another Kyle about basketball cards. That's cool. Right. Drinking a monster, by the way. Yeah. Yes, I am. 
<laughs> no drywall though. I need no some drywall. drywall. All right. So, well, Kyle, um, I would love to keep going and going and I'm sure I'll probably have you back on because there's a lot of stuff that we didn't talk about. There's a lot more Paul George. We could talk about a lot more WNBA. I really liked um, hearing about that because that's, I love learning about cards, especially parts that I don't know. So before I let you go, is there anything else that you want to add or anything that you'd like to plug or any social media you'd like to plug before you go? Nah, man, just, just be good to each other, collect the things that make you happy, build relationships and go Clippers. All right. There you have Go it. We're, Rick Barnes is going to win us a championship this year. I'm calling it. All right. Well, if we have college basketball, we'll see. It's going to happen. All right, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. Okay. There you have it. Thanks again to Kyle for joining me to talk a little bit about his collection and how he goes about acquiring pieces. I don't know if you caught that in there, but I really like what he's trying to do on ComC. Instead of buying something and trying to double up on it over the course of the next year or triple, or I've seen some guys try and do even more than that, he buys something that he thinks will go up soon and prices it just 25 to 30% higher. I remember during the bubble, he'd send me screenshots of his sales for guys like Troy Brown Jr. or Gary Trent Jr. I think that's brilliant. And like I said, he seems to do pretty well with it. Uh, Maybe some of you have adopted a similar approach. Or maybe you heard something in today's conversation that resonated with you. I'd love to hear about it. Let me know on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed our conversation today, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site. This works very similar to the Fanatics link in that you can go to www.tinyurl.com WMPod. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow that click. Um, It's a simple way to support the show. A lot of you are already shopping on eBay. And if multiple people do this, it really helps me out. So once again, that's www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.